Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello, this is the Fiction Nonfiction Podcast from Literary Hub, where we believe that every issue in your social media feed or on the evening news has already been tackled somewhere in literature. I'm Whitney Terrell author of the novel The Good Lieutenant, and I live in Kansas City. And I'm Vivi Ganesh-Anathan, also known as Sugi, author of the novel Brotherless Night. And for the 50th time, I don't. Which is why I feel sorry for you. Oh, what is there to be sorry about? I live in Minneapolis. It's a great city. We don't take a backseat to Kansas City in anything. Football? That's not nice. Warmth? Dude, if I were choosing a warmer city to live in, it would not be Kansas City. Wasn't it below zero there for like the past week? It actually was. has been bone-chillingly cold here. So that was probably a bad idea to bring up. You know what, though? I am so confident in the greatness of Kansas City that I'm not even going to bring barbecue into this discussion, though I'm not aware of a great barbecue tradition in Minnesota. This is you bringing up barbecue. Okay. That's... that's, that's... I'm also... I'm not hearing you defend the Minnesota barbecue tradition, but fine. What I do want to bring up is that is the AWP conference, which Kansas City is hosting this year. Top that. We have hosted AWP. In 2015, which I went to, by the way, before I knew you, that was like a million years ago. I'm talking about now. This place right here, where everything is up to date. That's my hometown, Kansas City. The conference is here at Bartle Hall from February 7th through 10th. And to celebrate and educate our friends and listeners about Kansas City, this episode, suggested by former guest Alexander Chi, thank you, shout out to Alex, is dedicated to what AWP attendees and any literary-minded person should do when they visit Kansas City. And to help us out with that discussion, we are joined by Glenn North. Glenn is the Director of Inclusive Learning and Creative Impact at the Kansas City Museum. He received an MFA in Creative Writing from UMKC and is the author of of City of Song, a collection of poems inspired by Kansas City's rich jazz tradition. He is a Kaveh Kahnem Fellow, a Callaloo Creative Writing Fellow, and a recipient of the Charlotte Street Generative Performing Artist Award. His graphic and visual poems have appeared in art exhibitions at the Nelson Atkins Museum of Art, the American Jazz Museum, and the Nerman Museum of Contemporary Art. Glenn is also an adjunct English professor at Rockhurst University is, and is currently filling his appointment as the Poet Laureate of the 18th and Vine Historic Jazz District. Glenn, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. So, Glenn, you and I met uh, when I spoke to your mother's book club in 
at the Kansas City, Kansas Public Library back in I think probably 2001, right. which was when that book came out, maybe 2002. Yeah. Uh, can you just briefly explain for our soon-to-be visitors why Kansas City, Kansas is not the same as Kansas City, Missouri, <laughs> and where this conference is actually being held? Right, right, right. So the conference is actually in Kansas City, Missouri. People make that mistake all the time, but there is a Kansas City, Kansas, and a Kansas City, Missouri. We're right next door to each other. Uh, but when Kansas City, uh, Missouri was incorporated as a city in 1853, there were some surrounding townships that were still clinging to that name. And so then when Kansas became a state in 1861, they kept that name. Some would argue, um, because Kansas City was starting to boom at that time, um, they wanted to benefit from some of that traffic and people coming to Kansas City, Missouri uh, to find work, you know, as a result of what was going on in the stark, stockyards and other things. And, you know, with us being, you know, Missouri being a free state in Kansas, I mean, Missouri being a slave state in Kansas being a, a free state, there's kind of been this historic beef <laughs> between the two states, but, um, you know, at this stage, I don't think that it's as serious as, as it was during the Civil War, but there's kind of a friendly rivalry now. But they're two distinct cities, I mean, you can two different mayors, the whole nine. Yeah, you can see Kansas City, Kansas from Kansas City, Missouri, but it's a lot smaller. It's on the other side of the Kansas yeah. River, um, whereas Kansas City, Missouri is along the Missouri River, right? And right. Uh, one of the things that people should... Yeah, so it's... Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, so, you know, both towns kind of burgeoned out of that confluence of the Kansas and the Missouri Rivers, and they both take their names from a tribe of American Indians who populated at the area in the area at the time, the Kansas. Yeah. So the first thing that I want to know when I'm going to the AWP conference is what's the lay of the land? Where is the main conference hotel in relationship to the rest of the city? What is the neighborhood in this case around Bartle Hall like? What is Bartle Hall? <laughs> yeah, so, so Bartle Hall is a huge convention center, one of the largest in terms of, um, you know, the space where people can set up, you, you know, there's just a huge area that, that it takes up. So that's where the actual conference will take place. But it's in our downtown area, which over the past several years has uh, been experiencing somewhat of a renaissance. So um, there uh, is the Kansas City Power and Light District that is right there in the heart of downtown. So there are just a host of restaurants and bars and interesting places to, to find yourself within walking distance of Bartle Hall. So not a lot of neighborhoods necessarily, but you'll be smack dab in the middle of downtown Kansas City. Uh, yeah, I was thinking like the exact spot where Bartle Hall is, is like, it's like 14th Street kind of. Or four, I mean, it's, it spans like a number of streets. Right. And it's kind of built out over the highway loop that surrounds uh, downtown. So it's not a super, like a lot of the area around it's very walkable, but that particular spot is a little sort of brutalist i would say you know yeah <laughs> the closest cool thing yeah. is the, is the lowe's hotel i wanted to mention to people like the marriott downtown is the is the official headquarters for the conference but the lowe's hotel is the nicest hotel downtown and the bar there is sweet if you want to check it out yeah Great cocktails, um, from what I hear. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you mentioned the uh, Power and Light District, but also I think people should know, like, okay, so around this area, there is a streetcar 
that circles downtown and goes through what's called the crossroads. Um, I guess, well, we should probably explain, Glenn, that like Kansas City is laid out the, is the opposite of New York. Like the smaller mm-hmm. the streets, the closer you are to the river north. Mm-hmm. And so like, the, you know, like Fifth Street is really close grid. to the river. And like 14th Street is a little bit farther south of the river. And then like the city goes out south to 200 and whatever street, you know. So and then there's also a north of Kansas City. We're skipping that part. Just everything goes <laughs> everything that goes south is gets higher in street number. And then the avenues uh, are named and run north south. But could you tell people about like some of the other surrounding neighborhoods like the crossroads or 18th and Vine or the river market? Sure, sure. So I'm glad that you did mention the streetcar, and that's free, and it can get you to a lot of cool places from downtown. Um, it's still expanding, so you can't access the whole city by the streetcar, but but we're working on that. Uh, but I would say closest to the downtown area in terms of, you know, where I find myself spending a lot of time is the 18th and Vine area, uh, which historically was the black part of town um, during segregation. That's really where jazz started to become a, a, a part of Kansas City's history. You know, Kansas City in the 20s was what was known as a wide open town and uh, prohibition wasn't enforced here. And so all these great jazz clubs began to spring up, but some of the best ones were between 18th Street and 12th Street. Um, and so now the 18th and Vine area has been going a years long kind of renovation process, but um, there's the, the Blue Room, which is one of uh, the country's top jazz clubs as a part of the American Jazz Museum, which is a great museum. I'm sure a lot of the people who are coming from for AWP would be interested in. And that same building is also the Negro League Baseball Museum. Uh, there's some great restaurants in that area. Um, and then uh, Whitney mentioned the Crossroads. There's uh, another entertainment district, kind of an artsy um, enclave of boutique stores and cool bars and and cool places to eat in the Crossroads area as well. So those are the two um, districts. So actually, so you're really going to be in the center of three districts. Entertainment districts is the phrase I'm trying to use. So you've got the Kansas City Power and Light District, which you'll be right in the hub of that. And then I would say the 18th and Vine area and the Crossroads area, um, you'd have access to both of those uh, just a short distance from Bartow Hall and from the Marriott. The Power and Light District is way more bro-y. It's not very writerly, yes. I would say. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's kind of the uh, It's like where you would go to watch a football and... <laughs> game outside in yeah, the central exactly, area. Exactly. Uh, but exactly. the Crossroads in the yeah. 18th Divine, I heartily recommend people go to any of the I, I, any of the places there. And Absolutely. The River Market has a has an open farmers market on Saturday morning if you're still there and it would you'd be easy to, it is it it is north of where the the Marriott is so you mm-hmm. would you would walk down to the River Market or take the the uh, streetcar there. Streetcar. And you could yep. there's a bunch of weird crazy shops there and interesting international stores from you know selling uh food from all kinds of different countries and then there's an open farmers market so it'd be a cool place to check out. Okay, we're going to take a short break here, and we'll be right back. Hey! 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. But in these areas, Glenn, where would you go to eat? Or elsewhere. Right, right, right. So I would definitely check out Soiree, which is in the 18th and Vine area. Um, Kind of Cajun, um, soul food. Um, That's one of the places I would go. I would check out, uh, what's the name of Michael Forbes restaurant uh, in the Crossroads? Why why am I blanking? Oh, is it uh, Farina? You know, Farina's the really high end yeah. one, right okay. next to it. Well, there's there's extra virgin is right there, yeah. and then there's extra Michael virgin. Smith. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Extra virgin. Um, I enjoy. They've got great happy hour. Kansas City is a great happy hour town. Like that three to five, you can find some places that have great cocktails um, and um, great food. I'm trying to think, what other restaurants do I like in that area? Well, I was gonna say. Uh, I'm, uh, if you want to have what I think is the best steak in Kansas City, and Kansas City is a steak town, I would suggest going to Anton's, which is on Main Street um, and not that far from the Marriott. We'll put links to all these places yeah. in the show notes for this show if you want to look them up. But get the grass-fed aged ribeye, which you'll pay a little <laughs> bit for, but it will be very good. Yeah, and, and right across from Anton's is a relatively new restaurant in Kansas City. It's called Lula's, and it's got great fried chicken, uh, great southern cooking at Lula's. I said grass-fed, by the way. I meant Lula's is a good recommendation. I meant grain-fed. Get grain-fed, not grass-fed. More yeah. fat, tastes better. <laughs> Worse for you, yeah, but still yeah. tastes better. Um, other places that I was thinking about, there's the 21C Bar, which used to be the old... Uh, oh, what kind Savoy? Of the- what? Yeah, the old Savoy Hotel. So it is. Mm-hmm. A, it is a bar in in a in, a, in an art uh, hotel, basically. Then so they have art all over the place. And this bar is very old, and it used to be a place where Harry Truman hung out. There's a kind of really amazing mural in it. So if you want to feel some old style Kansas City, you can go to the Twenty One C Bar. It'd be a great place to meet for drinks, and also you know reachable by the streetcar. What's cool about the Twenty One C when you had mentioned it, but it's like uh, an a hotel in an art museum. They've got an incredible art exhibits all throughout the hotel. One of the best dates I went on, it was like one o'clock on a Saturday night and we were still up and um, we went to 21C and walked around. So it was like being in an art gallery at night and there was kind of just this real cool nuance to us being the only ones there kind of having these great discussions about the modern art that they are, the contemporary art that they have in their collection. So I'm going to mention, oh, go ahead. Oh, no. I'm, so I'm not done yet, Sugi. Oh, I know. I know that, that <laughs> Kansas City is an infinite scroll of amazing possibilities. But as the stranger, um, I mean, and I've been to Kansas City a few times, but everything I know about Kansas City, I learned from Wit. And you all mentioned the streetcar. I've never taken the streetcar there um, so are the places, the places that you're talking about are, are reachable by, you know, just like a good walk or, or taking the streetcar. Um, and that's how people are, are getting 100%. around. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All the places that we've talked about so far are really close to where the convention center is and where the hotel is. The streetcar circles between like 5th Street and 20th Street and and then east and west, you know, so it makes a big circle around downtown. And all these places are within reach of that circle, um, if you look them up. I did want to mention also there's a place called Afterward, which is a bar and bookstore that's like on Grand Avenue and about 20th Street. Mm-hmm. Um, and a speakeasy called Swordfish Tom's that is fun. Um, and you should look that one up too. Yeah, and Swordfish Tom, just for those who, it's got a, a very small capacity. So, yeah, and, and a waiting. It's, it, it's very, um, it's much in the tradition of speakeasies. And so it's still kind of off the beaten path. But um, I just wanted to warn people it's a great place to go. Again, incredible cocktails from what I hear. But um, sometimes you might have to deal with the wait because they have a limited capacity. You got to ask to get in, you don't just yeah. get to walk in. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm going to mention one place that's not on the streetcar line, which is my personal favorite restaurant in all of Kansas City and is totally worth the Uber. And it's called Hirocho. And it is a Mexican seafood place in Kansas City, Kansas, by one that's run by one of, I think, the city's best chefs. And it sort of combines ideas of sushi with Mexican seafood. And it is my strongest recommendation if you want to go someplace cool i would go there and i would say my strongest recommendation is the soiree great food oftentimes live entertainment um yeah it's a real it's kind of almost kind of uh i won't say club and uh, you know uh vibe but it's not just a restaurant it's kind of a gathering place and so it's always kind of very active if people like that kind of atmosphere but always great food so we've been talking a lot about food but of course kansas city is also known for its fabulous music scene so glenn you've written a lot about kansas city's relationship with jazz and you were the poet laureate of the 18th and vine historic jazz district could you read us a poem about that and then talk to us about the city's relationship with jazz Sure, sure. So the poem I was thinking I would share is called Harmony on the Vine, and it was inspired by this um, art project that was happening on Vine one summer. There was a a pop-up mural that was being painted, and people from all ethnicities, all ages, were contributing to the production, or the creation, I should say, of um, of this mural. And so this poem was called Harmony on the Vine. In these times of such upheaval, when the only choice for commander-in-chief is the lesser of two evils, when men of color and their various hues are human targets for the boys in blue, when a Dakota pipeline matters more than the indigenous people who were there before, when immigrant families are torn apart and children are ripped from their mother's arms, when voter suppression in the southern sphere turns the clock back 50 years, when little girls in Flint can't brush their teeth because the water is filled with toxic debris. It's time to step back and examine our hearts. It's time for life to imitate art. This miraculous mural has taught us this much. We can learn to spill paint, not blood. Each delicate brushstroke, each scene depicted, shows that despite our various pigments, we are truly just one race, one human family in various shades. 
no matter how divisive they may try to paint us, somewhere deep inside, we know that that ain't us. Even when we reflect on this town's history and look under the sheets to a time when black folks couldn't live past 27th Street, we know even then there was a place where jazz music transcended the notion of race, where no one cared if you were white or black, if you were moving and grooving to the 12th Street rag, where musicians at Milton's didn't discriminate, all they cared about was if you could play, where Hootie and Bird's genius left stereotypes shattered, showing the world that black music matters. Yes, there was a majesty, a splendor, going far beyond wealth that occupied the space between 18th and 12th. If you take time to notice that glory isn't gone, at the American Jazz Museum, the tradition jams on. Just think of it all, the beautiful hands that took part in creating this incredible work of art. This masterpiece is an alarm, a wake-up call, a cry, a siren screaming to all, stop believing the lie. The road is too long, the stakes are too high. We have to paint the way and help the world find the harmony we created here on the vine. Thank you very much. Okay, we're gonna take a short break here and we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, yes, sir. The poem you refer in the poem you reference Hootie and Bird. I wonder if you could talk mm-hmm. a little bit about who these musicians are and give us some background on Kansas City's jazz history. We already yeah, already sure, talked sure. about so Aiken and Vine, but you know, yeah, where yeah. should people go see jazz today? <laughs> so um, Hootie was the nickname for Jay McShann. and Jay McShann was a great uh, piano player, actually from Oklahoma, but. There were a lot of territory bands uh, that were uh, moving around in the early 1900s. Um, when, you know, we use that term, the Chitlin Circuit. There was also the Southwest Circuit. So a lot of bands were traveling from tra- uh, Oklahoma, Texas, Arkansas, Missouri. Uh, and there was kind of this circuit that was already uh, developing. And so, as I said, when Prohibition went into effect in the 20s, Kansas City had all the great jazz clubs. So a lot of the musicians just moved to Kansas City and that was the case with Jay McShann. And he's credited with discovering uh, Charlie Parker and also giving Charlie Parker um, his nickname because um, there are a couple of different stories, uh, but back in the day, uh, a lot of people raised chickens in their yard and the slang term for chicken was yard bird and Charlie Parker loved chicken. And so um, 
Jay McShann and the band started calling him Yardbird, and then it was like Bird for short. So, yeah. But in terms of what's happening on the scene now, I mentioned the Blue Room. Uh, in the Crossroads District, there's uh, Corvino's Jazz Club, which is really popular. Um, also, uh, the Green Lady Lounge. Uh, they have jazz um, to all hours of, of the night um, on the weekends. And then I also wanted to mention for people who really want to be in the heart of where the Kansas City jazz scene is really anchored. It's at the foundation, the Mutual Musicians Foundation, which is on 19th and Highland, but it's still in that general 18th and Vine Jazz District. And so many people uh, in the ninth, in, um, 1919, the black musicians started a union because they weren't making as much as their white counterparts, oftentimes working even longer hours. And so it was really kind of a revolutionary thing for them to form a musician's union. And that was kind of headquarters. So after the musicians would play whatever gigs they had, they'd go to the foundation and just play till the sun came up. And so that tradition is still kept alive at the foundation on Friday and Saturday night. The jam session doesn't even start until one o'clock in the morning. And so uh, it goes until 5.30. And so it's still a, a cool place to hang out. And that's where the musicians really, you know, get a chance to explore. Um, there might be one musician that's hosting the jam session, but musicians from all over the city kind of congregate there and take turns playing it. It's just really a good time. If you can handle it, I can't go like I used to. If I go to the foundation now, it takes me about three months to recover. <laughs> I feel like it is a, an amazing place if you get a chance to go. Yeah, I feel like it's a go ahead. It's a dangerous thing to ask the fifteen thousand regular attendees of AWP if they can handle it. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, is that it? Uh, maybe I just challenged them. Um, <laughs> so there are um, Kansas City neighborhoods beyond downtown. Um, so for those who are you know interested in going a little bit farther afield, what is Country Club Plaza, Brookside? Um, I believe there's Overland Park. Yeah. So so I'll take the plat. Well, maybe I should let Whit answer. He's written a lot about. Go for it, man. <laughs> the country. I have one plaza, thing that before you start this, I just want to say Green Lady Lounge right. is also in the crossroads on Grand. And, yes, it is. And it's a yeah. two level jazz club that I think is quite good mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was just going to say the Country Club Plaza was one of the first outdoor shopping centers and it's just a huge Kansas City landmark um, not terribly far from the downtown area and uh, just a lot of great shops a lot of great restaurants um, and just uh, the architecture uh, was modeled after Seville Spain and so it's got this really unique architecture and people who visit Kansas City find that to be one of the um, most iconic kind of areas of Kansas City to visit Brookside is is a neighborhood, but also has some you know unique shops and kind of boutique shops and some cool restaurants. Um, what are some of your places that you like to eat there, Whitney? Um, that are not necessarily do they have any like local restaurants that you like there? Well, I mean, Brookside? I would. I mean, the Plaza is is it's on Forty Seventh Street. Okay, so your hotel mm -hmm. is going to be on like Twelfth Street. I think is where the uh the marriott, marriott is. is right so uh -huh. you're gonna have to uber if you want to go to the plaza or brookside but uh the coolest view of the city right now is at a place called prime social that's on the plaza 
you have to make mm-hmm. reservations to go up there, but it's a rooftop um, uh, bar that has an amazing view out over the plaza and Brush Creek and is very shishi. If you are looking for high-end drinks in a cool spot that you want to pay a lot of money for, that's where you should go. <laughs> And if you want a restaurant that is right in my neighborhood, uh, literally blocks from my house on 59th Street, um, you can go to Earl's Premier, which is really fantastic seafood and oyster-based restaurant. It's a little neighborhood restaurant that people love. It's very hard to get into, so I would make a reservation. Um, Those would be my suggestions. And Overland Park is... Uh, too far away for me to know anything about. It's far south. It's way. It's out in Kansas. It's the suburbs. Glenn and I don't go there. <laughs> we don't advise <laughs> you really to go don't. there either. <laughs> it's not safe. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but yeah, I just if if you're in Kansas City and unless you have relatives, I mean, it, it's a suburb. There's some restaurants, you know, out there too. But that's kind of a long ways away. But generally, you know, it's interesting that. Kansas City is very spread out, and Overland Park is kind of considered to be one of the suburbs uh, of Kansas City, even though it's in Kansas. I know that just confused people all over again, but yeah. I mean, you could drive 40 minutes in your car in one direction on a highway and still be in the city, you know? It's, it's mm-hmm. quite large. Um, yeah. Which brings us to a topic that Glenn and I have talked about a lot, and that is race and class in Kansas City. Um, I don't think you can really understand where you are in Kansas City without understanding that. So here comes a very familiar topic to Kansas Cityans, but one that's probably not familiar to outsiders. Troost Avenue, the east side, the west side, St. John's Avenue, Columbus Park. Glenn, could you talk a little bit about Kansas City's diversity and also its division? Yeah, so um, that's a pretty heavy discussion, but um, we were talking about the plaza and uh, the plaza was developed by uh, this developer who was very successful. His name was uh, J.C. Nichols. Um, and he was uh, really complicated in that. He did a lot of things for, for, for Kansas City, but he's also known for his mastery of redlining and uh, creating kind of this... Um, flight from the city into the suburbs. He actually created a lot of the suburbs around the greater Kansas City area that, that still exist. And so um, as Kansas City began to grow and expand, Troost became the dividing line. And so there's just a, a difference between the quality of life, um, the architecture, the, the, the lifestyles that exist between the people who live on the west side of Truth, which is the more affluent side of town, versus the east side of Truth. And then the name, the street name, uh, it's after Benewit Truth, who had a plantation there and, and owned several slaves. And so um, it is still one of uh, Kansas City's main dividing lines. Um, but when you, uh, like I work at the Kansas City uh, Museum, which is in the northeast area of Kansas City. And uh, that's one of the most culturally diverse parts of the city now. A lot of immigrant populations living there, just very diverse, people from all over the world. Um, And there's all kind of little hidden gems there as well. Uh, But while folks are in town, although the streetcar doesn't go uh, near enough, to the Kansas City Museum, that's one of the places I would suggest, just a shameless plug, um, because we are uh, attempting to tell that story uh, of Kansas City's, uh, the way Whitney put it, both um, our division and our diversity. 
Um, so yeah, that's a great place to visit if you're in town. Yeah, the Country Club Plaza was, I mean, the thing that J.C. Nichols did so well was use racial covenants to sort of segregate the city. And so the houses that he built were, were had covenants written into them that would not allow black people to buy or rent or, or be in the houses, basically. And he also used neighborhood associations to enforce those covenants in ways that didn't mm-hmm. happen in neighborhoods that he didn't build. So as it turned out, that east of Troost was not where Nichols built neighborhoods. So it was easier for citizens who were of color to move into those houses. And so that ended up being a dividing line um, because Nichols protected the whiteness of the neighborhoods to the west of Troost, basically. Um, and I think it's important to understand about Kansas City. Um, you know, if you're, if you're going to be here and if you want to hear the story, you could read my novel, The King of Kings County, which is explicitly about that. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. Okay, we're going to take a short break here and we'll be right back. So um, what about the literary organizations? I believe uh, the Friend of Creative Writing at UMKC is a benefactor sponsor of the conference. Um, So could you talk to our listeners about local literary institutions and where they might go to find them during the conference? Uh, Of course, we've already mentioned afterward, but um, what else? Yeah, so other than afterward... Um, so you've got uh, the the Writers' Place, uh, which houses a lot of great writers, and I think a lot of them will be participating in the conference. Um, there's a vibrant spoken word scene in Kansas City. Um, I think, uh, I'm trying to think of places where they might hear some poetry during the time that they're here. I can mention that I'll be actually hosting um, the Kavi Khanum off-site reading um, that first night of the con- that Wednesday night um, of the conference, and it'll be at the Blue Room, and uh, all of the Kavi um, Khanum fellows will be reading there. But you know, everybody's welcome to come. That ought to be a great night. Um, in terms of uh, creative writing, I'm trying to think. Um, of places where people might be able to kind of get some inspiration. And well, I'm kind I, of I was thinking right about now, the Kansas honestly. City Public Library's downtown branch. They're going to be hosting stuff, and yeah. we partner. John yeah. and I have done a lot of stuff with them. They have a great mm-hmm. staff and, and really are important literary supporters and will be involved in the conference. And then I was thinking about, I mean, bookstores. The only, There's not really oh, any. Yeah. Go ahead. I was just going to say, one of the, the bookstores that will be participating in the conference is uh, the Black Brown Bookstore, which is located right off of 39th and Main. Yeah, I was thinking Kansas about City. them. There's Bliss Books, which is on Gillum. Rainy Day mm-hmm. Books is, is in Fairway, Kansas, so it's pretty far away. Um, there's Wise Blood, which is uh, at Westport Road and Broadway. So that's like 43rd and Broadway. So that's there really isn't a downtown bookstore um, that yeah. you're going to be able to get to. Um, but those bookstores are available. Um, and, the, and again, the public library is at like 10th in Baltimore. So that's right in the conference area if you want to go down there and check yeah. it out. It's in an old bank building. It's a really beautiful renovation. Um, and I just would mention New Letters is a literary journal that UMKC runs. And it's run by my colleague, Christy Hodgen, who's the editor. And they'll have a table there. And they are a fantastic journal, and I hope that you will um, check them out as well. And Friends of Kansas City, uh, Friends of Creative Writing at UMKC is hosting a reception for 
Anyone who wants to come from 6 to 7.30 on February 8th in the 12th Street room of the downtown Marriott right before Jericho Brown's keynote. So swing by and say hi. Glenn, you're invited. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I was at Kavi Khan at the same time Jericho was. It's been really interesting to, to see his ascension. Yeah. Well, folks, Whitney has written in the script here that I ask, where do I go to jog? Um, so I, I am in, so hard not to ask this question. I am in, no, I'm in, advocated off <laughs> script that it be cut. I, she said we're running out of time. I'm an ex- she said she had to go to the bathroom. As our, as our listeners know, I am an extraordinary, top-notch, dedicated athlete. I love all forms of, yes, all forms of sport. When I go to Kansas City, I love to run. Where should, where should I do that? To tune into YouTube for to give me my Emmy for a straight face. <laughs> well, Glenn, I know you're a big jogger, so why don't you you can address uh, get that. out of here? <laughs> no, I, I mean just in terms of, of parks, the times that I have jogged, you know, Loose Park um, is a beautiful park. I'm wondering what the weather will even be like, you know, in terms of people having opportunities to do outdoor things. But um, Loose Park and Swell Park are the two parks I frequent the most. Swell Park won't be accessible. Um, it's a little further out. Um, Loose Park is not far from the plaza, which we talked about earlier. Probably one of Kansas City's most beautiful parks. I mean, I, I go to Loose Park almost every day. Uh, but there mm-hmm. is also Penn Valley Park, which is going to be I closer. was just about to say. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Penn Valley Park. I overlooked that, which is right by the Liberty Memorial. So that'll be really easy to find. And that is accessible via the streetcar. I mean, and if you consider museums parks, you know, I mean, we should at least mention the Nelson, which is on the plaza on 47th Street, but is a world-class, amazing museum. And if you want to go there and look at some great art, that's a good place to go. Within the loop of downtown where the streetcar is and near Union Station, which would be another cool place to visit, I would at least walk inside Union Station while you were there, is the World War I Museum, which is also a really fantastic museum. And there's no other museum like it in the country. So if you want to check out that, I would highly recommend it. And I have one more. Sorry, I'm just going on. Uh, Yeah, no, go ahead. Steamboat Arabia Museum is in the River Market, which is an unearthed, Riverboat. If you're into that kind of thing, that they dug this riverboat up out of a field in Missouri and they preserved all the stuff, and it's very cool. It's worth checking out. So, all right, now we get on to the most important thing. <laughs> if any of you people listening here come here and don't get some barbecue, it's going to be a huge mistake. This was this was actually is my question. This is my question. This is your question. This is where you're going to be jogging to. The problem is deciding where to go. You cannot go to all the barbecue places. There are too many. Can't you? Families have dissolved over this question about which is the best place to go. Glenn, what is your recommendation for the best barbecue in Kansas City? You are trying to get me shot, and I won't have it. (laughs) That debate is, I mean, seriously, that is a serious debate in Kansas City. I do want to shout out really quickly Henry Perry, whose name we don't often hear, but he's really considered to be the father of Kansas City barbecue. He's the one who, uh, he came from Memphis. He worked on the steamboats for a while, settled in Kansas City in like 1907. By the time like 1912 rolled around, he had started selling his own smoked meats uh, from a cart like down in the garment district and eventually kind of matriculated to the 18th and Vine area. 
and uh, Arthur Bryant and George Gates, Ollie Gates' father, uh, were students of his, and they eventually started their own barbecue restaurants. And so the, the, the two, when I was growing up, it was the argument between Arthur Bryant's and Gates' barbecue. That was kind of the, the main argument. But now there are several other uh, barbecue restaurants that have emerged that have really good barbecue. So for my vote, I would say if you're in Kansas City, to me the most iconic place to go would be Gates. Uh, but in terms of a place that I also like to frequent because they have great barbecue, some people say it's kind of the more gourmet barbecue um, is Jack Stacks, which is um, in the freight district, which is kind of in that crossroads downtown area as well. Um, but Jack Stacks is one of my favorites outside of Gates. How about you? Woody? I didn't know that you were going to be wrong about this, but this is disappointing <laughs> because the place if where you people say Q39, should go is go to Brian's, which say... has the most original vinegary barbecue sauce in the world. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, on 18th yeah. Street, just east of right. the 18th and Vine area, and and that yeah. is where you should go. There's just that's it. Period. <laughs> that's what I yeah I'm saying like growing up that was always a debate Brian's I would say you get uh, a healthier serving but to me Gates just just wins yeah but you should decide for yourself I mean like that's one of the absolutely you know we're known for jazz and barbecue and so don't take my word for it you know you should try both of those places um, there's a Gates on 12th and Brooklyn which is not far from downtown right. and then there's one that's on um, 31st in Maine which is accessible not far from the streetcar line less known but mentionable would be Joe's Kansas City which is not uh, near it's it's like on mission in Kansas Q39 is a sort of fancier new one on 39th Street. And then LC's, which is out my favorite, which is on the way yeah. to the baseball stadium, but also not convenient to yeah, any of you yeah. at all. Yeah. But I just want to mention it because I like it. It seems like, yeah, you, you, you guys have I sort of taken the, the same approach too. that like when someone's like, well, Sugi, if you could only read one book, it's like, no, got to got to go to the whole yeah. the whole barbecue <laughs> library. Um, yeah. So, sure. Glenn, you wrote a poem for the 25th anniversary of the American Jazz Museum, which is one of the places that you um, recommended that AWP attendees visit. And I wonder if you could read part of that poem for us to send us off. Yeah, sure, sure. So um, it was a pretty long poem trying to cover this 25-year history and the history of jazz. But um, as you mentioned, I'll read a section of it. I'll start with uh, section four. It was a poem written in nine different sections. Uh, Traveling up from New Orleans on the mighty Mississippi, a town called Kansas City was the first stop on her trip. By now, everyone was calling her jazz, and she was sexy as could be. Yes, she may have been born in NOLA, but she grew up in KC. She caught the eye of Benny Moten, who fell in love with this pretty young thing. He turned his back on ragtime and started teaching her how to swing. Five. She sure knew how to strut. Yes, she walked in 4-4 time as she sashayed up from 12th Street, headed to 18th and Vine. Proudly clothed in her black skin, she confronted America courageously, boldly inhabiting the space between myth and memory, between the cross and the lynching tree. Six. Always making sure she was in good company, she hung out with the likes of Jay McShann, Count Basie, and Julia Lee. 
As the 60s began to unfold, America's corruption created a stench. In the turbulence that ensued, there was a loss of innocence. So Jazz just played it low key, as was often her style, took some time for self-care, just took it easy for a while. Seven. She gave the youngins some time to shine, and they put on a good show. She had been a powerful mentor to funk and R&B, hip-hop, and rock and roll. But as the 90s rolled around after spending years alone, she said, I guess it's time that I find myself a home. Eight. From the Gold Coast of Africa to China's ubiquitous wall, there was no place she hadn't been. She'd pretty much seen it all. She searched many places for the home she longed to find, but in the end, she chose to live on the corner of 18th and Vine. In September of 1997, she erected this edifice to house her hallowed hymns, and she decided to call her dwelling the American Jazz Museum. Glenn, thank you so much. Uh, listeners, don't miss Glenn's most recent book of poetry, City of Song, or the panel that he's doing with Wit and Rilla Askew, and a number of other great writers called Riven Past, Wounded Present, writers from Kansas City and Tulsa, which will be from 1210 to 125 on Friday, February 9th. Thank you. Thank you, Glenn. And while we're plugging AWP panels, I will also be hosting a panel on podcasting, which Sugi was supposed to be a part of, but she's going... To Sri Lanka instead, I gather. Is that right, Sugi? That's right. That why you're not going to be there? That is why I'm not going to okay. be there. Anyway, there will other, be other great people there, uh, and the, and the panel is called The Sound in the Future, Teaching Podcasting to MFA Students, and that's at 3.20 on Friday, February 9th. That's it for the Fiction Nonfiction Podcast. This podcast is produced by Ann Knigendorf. Our theme music is composed by Travis Workman. You can subscribe to us by typing fiction slash non slash fiction into the search bar of your favorite podcast app. Please go give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts if you haven't done it yet. You can also listen, find previous episodes, and read excerpts from our interviews at the Literary Hub website, lithub.com, where the Fiction Nonfiction Podcast page is listed under the Lit Hub Radio tab. We'll also post that show page with links to the books we referenced this week on Facebook at FNF Pod, on Twitter at FNF Talk, on Instagram at fiction.non.fiction.podcast. You can find video of our interviews at our own Fiction Nonfiction Podcast YouTube channel and IGTV channel and on our website at fnfpodcast.net, where our back episodes are grouped by topic areas. Happy reading!